Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like school districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice, curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poteaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone, welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company Podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
A teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Welcome back to the Special Education and Advocacy Podcast with Ashley Barlow. I'm Ashley Barlow and I'm so happy you're here. We are going to talk today about evaluation reports, but not necessarily the technical stuff like how an evaluation report is read or what kind of parts should be in an evaluation report or what kind of evaluations to use. Rather, I'm going to give you a really practical step-by-step guide to go through the evaluation report and actually use it. I was talking to a friend on the phone the other day, and she was talking about how her child had an IEP meeting scheduled, and they, they were looking at the triennial evaluation report. And she said, oh, those things are so long, I barely ever read them. And I was like, yes, and let me get on my soapbox and tell you why you should read it and tell you what we need to use from the evaluation report because it's so important that we use them. And as I was talking to her, I thought this would be something that would be super helpful to share with my podcast audience and maybe to develop a freebie or some kind of um, reasonably priced tool for you to use at some point as well. So stay tuned for that tool. Maybe I can crank one out here in the near future. So what I want to say about evaluation reports first is read them. Make sure that you read the report. I actually suggest that you read it twice. The first time, just read it. Read it all the way through, even if you don't understand it. Read it. You might make a note or two in the margin. You might underline something, but just read it so that you've read it, so that at least you've read every word. This is something that goes into your child's education record, and heaven forbid, if something goes wrong or if you ever have to file due process or if you ever have to file a state complaint or something like that, this could become part of the record. So if for no other reason, read it for that. But for a proactive reason, read it because the information from these evaluation reports should go into the IEP document. We should take this objective data from the evaluation report and we should put it into the present levels of performance section of the IEP. So the report should describe to us the child's strengths and the areas of need and then we should use that information in order to draft a really nice document in order to draft the present levels of the IEP. So the first thing I want to tell you is to read the report. Okay, 
Before you read the report though, one step, kind of a pre-step, and that is to make sure that the report matches the planning form. So you had to have signed a, if you're a parent, a consent to evaluate or an evaluation planning form or something like that. So make sure if they said, you know, if you as a team agreed that you were gonna do academic goals, make sure that there is a section that has the, or I'm sorry, academic testing, make sure that there is a section that describes the academic testing that was done. If everybody agreed that you were going to do fine motor testing, then make sure that there is information about fine motor testing on the report. So make sure basically that the school tested everything they were supposed to test and then also not too much, so not something that you didn't agree to. I ended that sentence in a preposition, something to which you did not agree. <laughs> Pardon me for my terrible grammar. Okay, so first you're going to make sure that the report matches the planning form or the consent. Then you're going to read it all the way through. When you read it all the way through, like I said, you might make a couple of underlines. You might make note of some of the anecdotal things that aren't necessarily statistical. Just kind of give it an overall glance. Make sure that you have all of the evaluations. So you're going to have the academic, the motor evaluation, you know, fine motor, gross motor. There might be speech evaluations. There might be vision, all of those things. Make sure you've got all of that. Now, when you're looking at it, the next step that I want for you to follow is to write down all of the student's strengths. And in fact, I want for you to actually highlight those on the evaluation report. Highlight them in something sunny like yellow. Okay, here's our strengths because we're going to keep coming back to those strengths and we're going to keep saying, okay, we know that the child has a great processing speed. We know that the child excels in math. We know that the child is really um, strong at rote recall. So how can we, then what we're going to do, I'll kind of give you the secret. What we're going to do is we're going to tap into those strengths when we design the actual instruction, that specially designed instruction. So you might use the bell curve to identify the strengths. Now, in order to do that, you're going to have to know how to read the bell curve. I did talk about the bell curve in an earlier podcast on evaluations, and I'll tag it on my website and put it in the show notes so that you can go back and listen to that podcast if you've not listened to it. So you're going to look at the strengths and you're going to highlight those in something sunny and yellow. And you're going to look not only at the things that are on the bell curve, but also the things that are anecdotal. You know, maybe it says that um, the child is a really strong worker in the morning. Okay, well, we need to write that down because that's a strength. And it also is going to help us kind of tease out maybe something with scheduling or something like that. Step two. Next, I want for you to look at the areas of need, the weaknesses, the places where the child needs to work. And I want for you to highlight those in green, green for potential. There's our green light that says, okay, we are going to unleash our instruction on these areas of need. So you've written down the strengths, then you're going to write down the areas of need. And you're going to highlight those in the evaluation report in green.
Now, how do you identify those? Again, you're gonna look at the bell curve and say, okay, well, here's where we were strong. Now, here's where we aren't as strong. These are things we need to look at. And the areas of need, don't forget, are going to be in different areas, just like we talked about getting all the evaluations. So make sure that you identify areas of need that are academic. And then with academic, you're going to look at reading and reading comprehension and math calculation and math fluency. And you're going to look at it under speech, expressive language, receptive language, pragmatic language, all of those different components. You're going to look at all of those adaptive skills like daily living skills, social skills, communication, etc. Behavior, motor skills, hearing Look at all of the areas of need, and you're going to highlight those and then write them down. Now, in this particular spot, I want for you to really make sure that you look at those observation reports, because sometimes the informal assessment information that will be in the observation reports will be really valuable. So sometimes you'll see something, and it's maybe even something that if you're a parent that you've been thinking about. And you might see something in that observation report to say, oh, yes, yeah, so the teacher noticed that too in the observation. And it was something that is even noted in this report. And so this is documentation of that need, whatever that need might be. Maybe we need preferential seating. And, the, and, and you've been saying maybe we need preferential seating. And the school says, oh, I don't know, maybe not. And then the report says that the child... Um, you know, was fidgeting or playing with somebody else's hair or um, looking out the door. And so the teacher moved the child closer and then maybe the behavior improves. And so you're going to note those things from those observation reports. Lots of times my clients won't read that part of the, of the evaluation report altogether, the part that describes when somebody observed the child, and it's really important. It's so important that it now is part of the evaluation. They call it triangulating the data, which we'll get into at some other point. Okay, step three. Now that you've got the child's strengths down pat and you've got the areas of need, what I want for you to do is I want for you to kind of narrow down that list of need and I want for you to think, okay, what do we really want to focus on? We're going to prioritize certain skills that we want to focus on. Here I go, ending sentences and prepositions again. And we're going to write goals for those areas of need. Now, that's not part of this podcast or this task that I'm giving you right now. But what I want for you to know is I want for you to prioritize the skills in all of those areas of need to prioritize the ones where you want goals to be written. Because when we have goals, we get the, the specially designed instruction, that SDI, and we have to take data. We have to monitor progress on those. So by writing goals, we therefore get that specially designed instruction. Now, how exciting is it that we in special education get to specially design instruction for students? 
that's why the evaluation reports are so, so super helpful because we know the child's strength and we know what we need to work on. And so what we have to do is we have to address those areas of need while capitalizing on the strengths. In other words, we have to identify something that needs help Maybe it's math fluency, maybe it's reading comprehension, maybe it's expressive language, just expressing your wants and needs. Okay, well then how are we going to help the child work on that? So let's say it's expressive language and I'm gonna use my son Jack as an example. So Jack, when he was in preschool, one of his goals was to be able to formulate sentences that were I want something and I need something. And so his um, goal said, you know, that he needed to express his wants and needs with I want direct object or verb and I need either direct object or verb. And the reason why that was important, it was very functional so that he could collaborate with his friends, um, you know, and doing a craft so that he could tell his teachers what he wanted and needed. Very important expressive language skill, self-advocacy skill, etc. And so by doing that, by identifying that need, we said, okay, here's what he needs. He needs to be able to do this. But then how do we address that? Well, for some children, maybe we address it with something visual. So maybe we put on their desks, I want blank and I need blank. For Jack, that would not have worked because he wasn't reading when this was a goal for him. So that visual prompt would not have worked at all. If he had a talker, some kind of alternative or augmentative communication device, he could have had little buttons on his talker that either said the entire sentence, I want, and he could have put in whatever um, verb or direct object he needed, or he could have put in um, the actual words, I, and then want, and then, you know, to cut the paper or whatever he wanted to put in. That didn't work for Jack because he didn't have a talker at the time that this was his goal. And one of Jack's strengths or something that we have identified that helps Jack is repetition. Everywhere that he's tested, we learn that repetition, repetition, repetition helps for him. And so the way that this skill was taught for Jack was in a game setting because in games you take turns. And so he and his speech therapist would go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And she always chose a game where he needed something or where he wanted something. So they would play um, this game called Zingo. And it's kind of like bingo and little um, easy to say words come out on these little cards. And so she would say, oh, Jack, what do you need? And he would say, I need a son. Um, I need a shoe. I need a boat. And then he would say it three times. And so by this repetition, he would start to get the skill I want and I need. So we addressed the need for Jack, which was this expressive language goal of expressing wants and needs by capitalizing on Jack's strength, by capitalizing on the fact that he does well with repetition. He has that um, in his profile and his testing told us that.
Now, you notice that I haven't said anything about what particular test told me that he does well with repetition. And that is because I honestly didn't go back to the evaluation report to figure out what was in there to tell me that he did well with repetition. I didn't go back to look at a cognitive test or some kind of academic test or a behavior test. I know it was tested. The psychologist told me when he was in preschool that repetition was going to be good for him and substantiated it in the document. And I said, great, thank you. So even when Jack was in preschool and I really, really wasn't super um, deep into my understanding of special education, I at least understood that the testing told the psychologist that repetition would work and by George it did. And so that is something that we have capitalized on since the very beginning. So you're going to look for um, that specially designed instruction that capitalizes on the child's strengths. Now, this might take a little bit of research. You might have to go in and, and Google things. You might have to talk to other friends. You might have to talk to friends that have children with similar profiles to your profile. You might have to talk to other psychologists or your outside therapist, outside tutors. But what it's going to look like is how do you teach a child to read when a child has um, a um, slow processing speed, but really, really great, um, you know, I don't know what it could be, math computation or something like that. That would be a bad thing to search. But you start to look at your child's profile and you look for specially designed instruction that matches your child's profile. So what I want for you to do in this step three is to research specially designed instruction options that address the weaknesses that you have chosen, those areas of need that you have chosen, and capitalize on the strengths. How do you teach math to a child with a strong visual profile? How do you teach, um, it could be very specific, how do you teach time to a child that um, is visually impaired? How do we address these issues? Do the research. One of the things that we talked about in the dyslexia series on the podcast that we just finished was how do you know if they're doing it right? And a big content, a big piece of that content was understanding what dyslexia programming is out there, understanding the differences, understanding how different programs need to be implemented in order to be done with fidelity. Because if you don't know, you might be skeptical. So do the research to figure out what you think might be a good thing. Now, steps four, five, and six are pretty easy, pretty rote. The evaluation reports are also going to include a list of accommodations and a list of modifications. So in step four, I want for you to make note in some highlight, I suggest red or orange so that you don't lose them. Make note of the accommodations that are suggested. Now, accommodations are things that 
we can do for a child to help the child access their curriculum. So maybe an accommodation might be putting a child closer to the teacher, or maybe it might be having some kind of seating available, or um, it might be, you know, a water bottle or a snack or a certain person that is going to help the child, etc. So accommodations don't necessarily change the education. They just take away some kind of barrier. Note five or number five is going to be the same thing, but for modifications. So how do we need to modify general education work in order to make it accessible to the child? So in the evaluation report, there will probably be lists of modifications. Again, highlight those in orange and red. What kind of modifications should we make to general education work to make that gen ed work more accessible to the child? So my son, Jack, has a very strong visual profile, but he does not do work well with super cluttered papers. And so one thing that we can do is we can take the clutter off the paper. The teacher can block all that out with just kind of copy and paste some white paper on top of something. And then she can um, put it back through the copier so that he gets less of a cluttered field. So we might change stuff just a little bit to make it easier for a child to access that general education stuff. So step four is to note the accommodation. Step five is to note the modifications. Step six is don't forget there's maybe going to be something with which you don't agree. So I do want for you to note anything with which you don't agree and highlight it in some other color. Maybe you still have a purple highlighter or something. I use markers for this or Sharpies and I underline. So um, note so the things with which you don't agree, just so that you can discuss them when you go over that in the evaluation report. It's not necessarily fitting to the theme of actually using the evaluation report, but I wanted to make sure I included it in this podcast because I don't want for you to, um, to think that the evaluation report is going to just get crammed down your throat, right? So if you're a parent, sometimes they're intimidating. Make sure that you understand that if there's something with which you do not agree, you can speak up about it and you should speak up about it because you're a team member. Okay, and then step seven, highlight, circle, underline, emphasize, somehow make note of any additional questions that you might have. So it's okay to have questions. It is actually encouraged to have questions. It is absolutely positively okay to have questions when you're looking at an evaluation report. And so if you don't understand after you've read it, how to fill out a paper that I just told you to figure out. If you can't look at that evaluation report and say, hmm, what are my child's strengths? Then ask. Ask the question, what are my child's strengths? If you can't figure out by reading it what areas of need are, ask that question. What are my child's needs? What should we be working on? If you don't know what accommodations or modifications there exist, 
ask for that information. And then specifically, if there's something that is um, an attempt at an explanation that is confusing to you, ask about it. So sometimes, a lot of times, the evaluation reports will include these really rote, boring paragraphs that describe all the different subsections of all of the different tests. So the school psychologist will run a, a cognitive test, like the WISC, the Wexler Intelligence Scales for Children. And then it'll have a little chart with your child's scores. And then there will be these paragraphs describing what all of the different subtests are and describing what they measure and that sort of thing. And sometimes those things are confusing as all get out. And so you read it and you take the information from the paragraph back up and you look at the chart with your child's scores and you think, that didn't do anything for me. I still don't understand how to read this thing. Ask the question, you are on a team that is charged with not only identifying a child's strengths and areas of needs, but then also identifying instruction that is specially designed vis-a-vis -vis those two things, the strengths and the weaknesses, the specially designed instruction has to help the child make meaningful progress. And so you're on this team that has to make this decision and you can't make it if you don't know the answer to those questions. When I look at an evaluation report, I usually have at least five or six questions per 10 pages, I would say. And so it's really important that you do ask those questions. Okay. I hope that helps to make evaluation reports a little bit more meaningful. I hope you can use this the next time you get an evaluation to make some sense of it and then to actually make for a better IEP so that you're off to the races and you've got a great year.